Don't you wish it were that easy? Three easy payments of $19.99 for a whole new you. <laughs> but it's not that easy, is it? I am disappointed with myself. With the things I've done and who I've become. Oh sure, some of my disappointment is trivial. I would have liked to have been a little taller. Maybe a more muscular physique. A little dose of athleticism would have been nice. Maybe a better memory. But most of my disappointment is much more serious than that. I'm disappointed that I still love God so little and sin so much. I am embarrassingly sinful. When somebody succeeds more visibly than I do, I feel jealousy boil up inside of me. I can be selfish and too tired and a lazy husband. I can be small and petty and short-fused. I can convince everybody that I'm a hard worker when inside I know I'm slacking. When I try to pray, all too often my mind drifts to some fantasy of power or achievement or fame or maybe just what my favorite sports team did that day. And that's only the surface. My sin runs much deeper. I've got a lot more disappointments than that. You see, the problem is that I'm literally disappointed. I was appointed to live like Jesus, and I have not lived up to that appointment. I am disappointed. I have failed to be the person that God intended me to be, and I have disappointed God. I have kicked him off of the throne of my life and appointed myself as king in his place. Is anybody else in here disappointed with themselves? Anybody else in here have a nagging suspicion that maybe you're not who you should be? Anybody else just ache to be transformed and to change and to grow? Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3 today. Colossians chapter 3. You guys remember Power Rangers, right? Yeah, Power Rangers were the bomb in my childhood. They started out as this low-budget Japanese TV show, but they caught on pretty quick and became a worldwide craze because these normal, average adolescents had the ability to morph. They could access a power that was higher than themselves and all of a sudden become these spandex-clad martial arts heroes for justice. They were so cool. They went from a normal existence and they morphed into something exciting and powerful. I had a friend in elementary school who told me that his cousin was the pink Power Ranger. And I have no idea if that's true. But as an eight-year-old, that was the coolest thing ever. Because who doesn't want to be able to transform and to morph, to be something more than our sometimes disappointing selves? 62% of Americans say that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in their life today. And yet, wouldn't a pound of meat be drastically affected by half a pound of salt? Something needs to change. These people who've made commitments to Jesus, people like me, need to start living like it. Because the good news that Jesus preached, the gospel, is not about staying the same. It's not about this checklist of things that you have to do to get a ticket to eternal life. The good news of Jesus is not the bare minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven. Do this, 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 and this, and you'll squeak by into eternity. 
No. The gospel is about transferring our lives from under our own leadership to under Christ's kingship and letting him direct and empower and redeem and transform our broken lives because God's will for us is to be transformed, to change, to be restored and to recapture who we were always meant to be. Today we're continuing our series called Together, and we've been talking about what it means to be the capital C church, but also what it means to be part of Plainfield Christian Church here. And we've talked about how together we worship, and together we follow, and we're going to talk about how together we serve and we multiply. But today, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to see a plan for our spiritual transformation as a community, because together we are shaped. Together we are shaped. The first step in this transformation process is to look up. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the first thing that we do in this transformation is look up. Look up where Jesus is. Notice that we're not told, first of all, just to do better. As if God were looking down on us and saying, "Uh, get your ducks in a row a little bit better and then we'll talk. No. Being a Christian is more than just having a squeaky clean life. Christianity is more than just about making nice church people. The goal of our Christianity is to be like Jesus. But we're not just told to do better. We're told to look up to Jesus. First of all, Paul starts by saying, hold up, pause for a second. Remember what God has done in you. You died and you were raised to new life and you were united with Jesus Christ in baptism. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized and saved by him and made a part of his family, then you are categorically different. So he says, look to Jesus. Jesus is already reproducing his life in you through his Holy Spirit. He is your life now. And you will be made new when he comes back. So look up. Because the way that you see your life shapes your life. If you see your life just as a person who needs to do better, be nicer, to get your act together, then you'll never get it. And you will always be disappointed with your performance. So we must see ourselves as people who are being made new, who now live in, with, and for Jesus Christ. So look up. But the world around us tells us to look in. They say, oh, be yourself. Follow your heart. Well, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. So don't do that. (laughs) The Bible actually says that the best version of you is the Christ-like version of you. In the very beginning, we were created in God's image. And Paul wrote a couple chapters ago in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he wrote, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So in the beginning, we were made in God's image, but we marred God's image in us through sin. But Paul just said that Jesus is the image of God. And in Colossians 3, he says that we are to look like him. So in other words, we were always created to look like Jesus. 
So we don't look into ourselves to figure out who we should be. We don't look out to the world and to culture to let them dictate who we should be. We look up at Jesus so that we can look like Jesus. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That word set literally means synchronize. Like you're synchronizing two clocks together to be the same time. Synchronize your minds with the things of heaven. In the same way that a compass is pointing north, Christians should point ourselves heavenward. Our feet are planted squarely on the ground, yes, but our minds are habitually in heaven because we're constantly thinking about the word and singing songs of worship and coming back to God with little prayers throughout the day and living according to heaven's culture and not the world. And we're not getting caught up in the small stuff because our minds are caught up in a picture of the eternal perspective. He says, because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and if you have been baptized, then you died with him. That old you is dead and gone. We belong to the age to come now. The new creation has begun in us, and we are a preview of coming attractions for the world to see, so that when the people around us see how we live, they should know that we are different, and they should catch a glimpse of heaven, because that's where our minds are, and that's where our hearts are. So in order to become who we were always meant to be, we first have to look up. Look up to Jesus. The next thing is we have to take off. Look up and take off, Paul says. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... You must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So back in the beginning, we were created to be like God. Now that godliness, that purity and perfection is the condition required for the universe to work the way God intended it to. So, every problem that we see around us then ultimately finds its root in a lack of holiness, a lack of godliness. We call it sin, missing the mark. So whatever is whole and godly is, is healthy, is holy. But whatever is unholy and ungodly is diseased. And whatever is sinful is hated by God. Because of what it does to his creation. God created the world and he made it good. He said, it is good. It was holy. It was godly. It was like him. And yet sin came along. And mankind became warped and creation began to rot. And so God hates sin like a mother hates the cancer that killed her child. And that's a problem. Because there is sin in each one of us, and none of us can get rid of this sin on our own. We can't pay for it. We can't make up for it with enough good deeds. Shoot, we can't even stop sinning, even if we try really, really hard. And that's why what we're doing as Christians is more than just behavior modification. We're not sending you home today saying, stop screwing up for Pete's sakes. Do better. No. 
We are embracing what God has done in the world and what he's doing in each one of us. And we are living up to our original identity and fulfilling our original purpose to be holy, to be made in the image of God, to be like Jesus. But some of you are still living in your sin and you don't see the need to take off the old and put on the new. In the early 1900s, right before World War I, the French army had a big decision to make. By this point, the British Redcoats had switched their military uniforms uh, to a khaki color. And the Germans had switched their uniforms from a blue to a gray. But in 1912, the French soldiers still wore the same old blue jackets, bright red pants, and bright red hats that they'd worn for a hundred years. Now, when they first got those uniforms, warfare just meant lining up in an open field against your enemy who was lined up in an open field, and you just kind of let each other have it. You didn't have to hide. But warfare had changed. They needed something that was a little more camouflaged because if they're wandering around in that bright red, the French soldiers are just going to be moving targets on the battlefield. And so when the war minister of France tried to, tried to change this and propose a uniform color that was more camouflage, the people in France nearly had a heart attack. They said, get rid of the red trousers. Never. The red trouser is France, they said. And so the soldiers went forth into battle, bright red, and died needlessly. Take off the old. It's not working. <laughs> the behaviors and the attitudes of your old self, your earthly self, take them off and put them to death, Paul says. Take off immorality. Any kind of sexual sin. Take off impurity. Even lustful thoughts or fantasies or twisted intentions. Take off passion and evil desire. Being controlled by your urges and hormones. Take off greed. That constant thirst to have more. Uh, take off setting your hearts and minds on earthly things. Money and power and possessions. That's greed. Take off idolatry. Following your own desires and what you think is right instead of God's. Take off anger and rage and malice, those negative feelings and tantrums you throw and those outbursts that come up when something is standing in the way of what you want. Take off slander and filthy language, laughing at the things that Christ died for and using your words to hurt people. These lists that Paul gives here, they're not exhaustive. There's plenty more in your life that you might need to take off. But notice the common thread in all of these sins. It's all about me. It's all about following number one. Because let's be honest, when I'm angry, most of the time it's because I didn't get what I want. When I slander, it's me putting myself above others and putting them down with my words. When I'm greedy, I want more stuff so I can compete and compare with those around me and try to satisfy my desires with stuff. It's all about me. And I am called to take off that old all about me self and put him to death. So are you serious about your sin? Because I think that we in the church often tolerate some pet sins. We tolerate gossip, saying negative things about people. And, and we excuse it by saying, oh, I just want to know so I can pray for them. <laughs> we tolerate gluttony and greed, that constant getting more and more and more. I got to have it. We tolerate slander and filthy language when we're going for the cheap laugh because eh, it's no big deal. We tolerate dishonesty. Even if our actual words are accurate, we twist the story just a little bit to put ourselves in a better light. That's lying. 
God doesn't tolerate sin, and we shouldn't either. Don't just regulate your sin. Take it off. Pull it up by the roots. Put it to death. You don't live like that anymore, remember? Your life is with Christ now. So transfer your allegiance and stop living that same old way. If you have been baptized into Jesus and are a member of his family, then that old you died, and you severed your link to the sinful ways of the world. You are free. You are different. So live like it. It's high time in the church that we got ruthless with our sin, that we came back to a practice of vulnerability and confession and communal accountability and repentance because that's what it's going to take to take off this old self. So when's the last time that you deeply confessed your sins to someone? It's hard, but it needs to happen. When Jesus was getting ready to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, he told some people, hey, roll, roll the stone away from the grave. But Lazarus' sisters protested, and they said kind of in the King James, basically like this. They said, oh, Lord, he's been in there four days. And then they say, he stinketh. <laughs> I love that. And that old dead way of life that we've been living in, it stinketh. When Jesus rose up from the dead, he left his grave clothes in the grave. And we are called to do the same thing. Take it off. It will be foolish for me to wake up in the morning and put on the same old, dirty, unwashed, nasty clothes. I know that's a newsflash to some of you junior hires. It was a learning process for me too, but we're supposed to put on clean clothes in the morning, all right? Take off that old stuff. Did you guys ever read the children's books, Frog and Toad, growing up? Yeah, I read those books. I loved them. So the main characters, obviously, of these stories are Frog and Toad. And in one of the stories, Frog and Toad are trying to figure out how to stop eating a freshly baked batch of cookies. We ought to stop eating, they say, as they keep eating. (laughs) We must stop, they resolve, as they eat some more. Uh, We need willpower, Frog says, finally, grabbing another cookie. What's willpower, asks Toad, swallowing another mouthful. Willpower is trying very hard not to do something that you want to do very much, Frog says. So Frog discusses a variety of ways to help with willpower. You could put the cookies in a box, tie the box shut with some rope, and then put the box way up high in a tree. But each time, Toad points out in between bites that you could just climb the tree and untie the box. (laughs) So in desperation, Frog finally dumps out the remaining cookies outside on the ground. Hey, birds, he cries. Here's cookies. Now we have no more cookies, says Toad, sadly. Yes, says Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. You may keep it all, Toad replies. I'm going home to bake a cake. We must take off everything that is standing in the way of us living like Jesus. But it's not just a matter of taking it off. Because as soon as you throw away the cookies, you'll find a cake to eat. Unless you're putting on something new as you take off the old. So that's the third step. Put on. Put on. We're called to look up, take off, and put on. Paul says in verses 9 through 17, Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other 
And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So look up, take off, and put on. Put on Christ. Paul starts off by saying, therefore, in other words, because, since, in light of the fact that you've put off your old self, and because your new identity in Christ has surpassed your old allegiances and identities, act this way. Because action is always grounded in identity. Have you guys ever seen the movie, The Princess Diaries? It's okay, you don't have to be embarrassed. I know it's a chick flick. I've seen it. Don't make fun of me, okay? The Princess Diaries is this movie about a 15-year-old frizzy-haired girl named Mia Thermopolis. She's kind of this gangly, bumbling klutz in the thick of those awkward early teenage years. And she's living in San Francisco. But one day, Mia's grandma comes into town. And eventually we discover that though they've never met, it becomes clear that Mia's grandma is actually the queen of Genovia. And that Mia is not actually Mia Thermopolis anymore. But she's... Emilia Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi, princess of Genovia, in line for the throne. Now this, of course, is an utter shock to Mia. It turns her whole world upside down. And throughout the movie, there's all these struggles and ups and downs. But the whole time, her grandma looks at this embarrassing, awkward girl and sees not just another bumbling, klutzy 15-year-old high schooler, but a queen. And church, you may be disappointed You might think that you're a mess, but you are God's people, chosen and set apart, and you are right now in this moment holy and dearly loved, and you don't have to earn that love. It's not because of how good you are. It's because of how good our awesome and great God is. This is who you are. This is who you became in baptism. It's like Paul said earlier in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You have come out of the darkness and into the light. So live like it. If anyone is a new creation, the old is, if anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone, the new is here. So what does putting on this new life look like? Well, first it says, it looks like unity and equality. Every morning, Jewish men would pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It's a real prayer. But Paul says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The church has always been on the cutting edge of unity and equality, and it should stay that way. This new life looks like putting on some fresh clothes, literally to put on Christ. We're called to dress like Jesus does. Doesn't mean you have to wear a robe and a sash, but you are called to wear Christ's personality. Put on compassion, literally these deep gut emotions for one another. We see Jesus having compassion. His heart broke for the people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then put on kindness, this compassion in action. Uh, Kindness is a softening of our rough edges and a disposition to wish good on other people and act that way. We see Jesus' kindness in action when he opens the eyes of the blind and the mouth of the mute and the ears of of the deaf and he raises the dead and heals the sick. He's kind. Put on humility, considering others better than yourself which is the antidote to the self-love that poisons most of our relationships. You may have heard the definition, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, I'm such a loser. It's thinking of yourself less, just not thinking about yourself. We see Jesus as humble, which is not what you'd expect from a king, but he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Put on gentleness, power that is under control. Exercise restraint and intentional softness. Jesus was strong, okay? This is the guy who defeated death and he drove out people from the temple with whips. He was a man's man. But he also played with little children. And old women were comfortable talking to him. He was gentle. Put on patience, long-suffering. Don't have a short fuse, Jesus is patient with us over and over and over again when we keep screwing up. He's rich in love, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's patient. Then Paul says in verse 13, forgive each other just as Jesus forgave you. We didn't deserve Jesus's forgiveness. And that other person might not deserve your forgiveness, but give it to him anyway. Bear with each other. Literally put up with the things that you dislike in other people. I don't care if they annoy you, put up with them and love them anyway. Notice also that bearing with each other and forgiving each other kind of assumes that we are living in close enough community with one another that there's conflict. So are you in close community with other believers? Are you in life-on-life relationships with people in this church? And if not, are you willing to make the first move to get that way? Instead of bickering or being divided, he says, let the peace of Christ rule. Literally, let the peace of Christ umpire, referee our relationships and bring unity instead of bitterness or gossip or squabbling or drama. Let the peace of Christ, or excuse me, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Our lives are to be controlled by and soaked with the word of God and do everything gratefully as if Jesus were your boss standing next to you. Did you notice something about this list of virtues that we're supposed to put on? Everything that we took off was from a me first mentality. But everything that we're putting on is of a we first mentality. We are shaped together. We do this in community. These are relational virtues where we practice selflessness in our everyday interactions with each other. And that's how we are shaped together. So together we are shaped by looking up, taking off, and putting on. And now the danger with sermons like this is that you're going to go home and wake up Monday morning and you're going to say, I'm going to try really, really hard to be gentle with my spouse. I'm going to try really, really hard to bear with my coworkers even when they are annoying me. I'm going to try really, really hard to be patient with my kids. Have you guys ever tried to be patient with a three-year-old who's potty training? Okay, it is not that easy. (laughs) You see, there's a difference between trying and training. One preacher says spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. Imagine with me for a second. Imagine you're at home after this, laying on the couch, watching some football, munching on Cheetos, when all of a sudden a group of people bursts into your house with an urgent message. 
We are from the United States Olympic Committee, they say. We're looking for someone to run the marathon in the next Olympic Games. And we've run the statistics on every person in the United States, their PE scores from elementary school, their body type, bone structure, and DNA. And we've determined after our precise calculations that out of the 325 million people in the United States, you are the one person with the best chance to bring home the gold medal in the marathon at the next Olympic Games. Congratulations, you're on the Olympic team. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now, initially, you're a little surprised, but, you know, the furthest you've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator during a commercial break, okay? <laughs> but it's not long before you let your mind begin to wander. You can imagine yourself there standing on the podium. The national anthem is playing. The flag's being raised off in the distance. Gold medal around your neck. Oh, yeah. And a billion people watching on TV. Hey, that's all right. And then it dawns on you. Right now, you can't run a marathon, <laughs> even if you try really, really hard. You see, trying hard will only get you so far. If you really want to run that race, you're going to have to organize your lifestyle around rigorous training for that race. You need to train hard, not just to try hard. And some of you know this by experience. You've tried really, really hard to kick that habit, to stop that addiction, to be different, to treat that person differently, but you look in the mirror in the morning and you still don't like what you see. Because trying hard is not enough. It's time to start training. Aristotle once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. Let's say you look at excellence. When I see some guy with biceps bulging like basketballs, I think, okay, I could do that. Yeah, I could be that. So I go home, I do five push-ups, I go look in the mirror expecting to see some bulging muscles, but instead I just see some wimpy guy who's out of breath. That's because you don't get buff on doing five push-ups. You get buff by having a rigorous diet and doing 47,000 push-ups a day. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. We live in a world that is obsessed with getting in shape. There are 36,000 gyms in the United States. And we've got diets galore. Gluten-free diet, Adkins diet, lactose-free diet, paleo diet, Daniel diet, high-protein diet, low-sugar diet, Weight Watchers diet, Nutrisystem diet, and a seafood diet. That's what I'm on, the seafood diet. I see food, I eat it. <laughs> Paul says in 1 Timothy... That physical training is of some value, but training for godliness is even better. So you care about your body. What's the shape of your soul? Together we are shaped. So what are you training for? We can't try hard enough to be like Jesus perfectly, but we can train ourselves every day to be more like him. And the way we train is through what's called spiritual disciplines. The formation of good and godly habits. A discipline is any activity that you can do right now that will eventually enable you to do something that you cannot do right now. And a spiritual discipline is any activity you can do right now that will enable you to live as Jesus would live if he were you. For example, some spiritual disciplines. Try reading the Bible every day, even just a little. If you already do that, take it up a notch. Try reading for both the Old and New Testaments each day. That way you're trained to have scripture pop in your head in your moments of stress instead of spouting off. You can train by making a habit of praying every day. 
That way in your moments of crisis, you already have an ongoing relationship with God. So it's not one of those, hey, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I'm kind of in a pickle moments. (laughs) Uh, You can train by practicing not having the last word in an argument. That will empower you to be humble and pursue peace instead of having to win or be right. You can train by praying a psalm every day, learning to pray as believers throughout the centuries have prayed. You can train by practicing the discipline of celebration. Every day, five five things worth celebrating, and that'll train you to find joy even in hard situations. You can train by writing down a thousand things that you're thankful for over the course of the remainder of this year. That'll train you to be a grateful person. You can train by saying three positive things for every negative thing that you say. You can train by waiting in the longest line at the store or parking further away in the parking lot or by chewing each bite at least seven times before you swallow or by intentionally walking slowly in order to not be a hurried or rushed person and cultivate patience. You can train by writing an encouraging note and a a prayer for someone and giving it to them one every single day. That'll train you to be a person who lifts your brothers and sisters up. You can't become like Jesus by just trying to do better. But you will become like Jesus as you take off selfishness and put on virtue and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and shape you and empower you to treat others as Christ has treated us. And this is not some way to earn favor with God. The goal is not to be the most spiritually disciplined person in the room or the one who does the most religious stuff. My wife and I are very different in our spiritual disciplines and our rhythms and how we connect with God, but the end result is the same. We treat each other in a more godly manner by looking at Jesus, taking off the old, and putting on the new, being shaped together as we become more like Christ. So church, let's get in shape. And as we do, we got to remember that this is not, uh, hey, do good things so you can get on God's good side. This is not try harder to be a better person so that you can earn God's favor. Now, you can't be good enough to earn your own way to heaven. Rather, we take off the old and we put on on the new in response to God giving us his favor when we did not deserve it. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God's the one who does this in us. We're not strong enough to do it on our own just by trying harder. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ came for us while we stunketh. We were living in our old, dead, selfish way of life. We were still wrapped in our grave clothes. But he took on the death that we deserved and he washed us clean in his blood. And he's giving us new clothes, a new life, his righteousness. He's offering you a clean start. And when you allow Jesus Christ to be your life instead of yourself to be your life, he will work in you and he will shape you and he will make you like himself. And we're all going to fall short. We still live in a fallen world and we're still fallen people. But the promise is at the end of the book in Revelation, we see all the people of God standing around the throne and they're wearing white robes. They've finally been washed clean in the blood of the lamb. And that is the promise that if we persevere in taking off the old and putting on the new, he will finish this good work in us. And there are some of you today who've not made that decision. You've not decided to step into God's kingdom. You're still kind of living in your own. And we don't offer an invitation most of the time in this service, but we're going to today. And we're going to sing the next song in a minute, and I'm going to be standing over here. And if there's things you need to pray about, or if there's a decision you need to make, now is the time. Some of you need to make a decision today to let Jesus be your king.
to fix your eyes on him and let him be your life and to take off that old dead way of life that is not working and to put on this new life that he is offering you and to let him take your ashes and make something beautiful out of it. And if that's the decision you need to make today, don't put it off. Let's stand and sing.